Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. Julie, it is July the 30th, and we've got a uh, great topic today. We're going to be talking about scarcity and abundance. This is one of those topics that people talk about a lot. It's a kind of a common theme when people are trying to work on their mindset because it is really interesting how scarcity thoughts kind of rule a lot of people's lives. And some of it is a little bit counterintuitive, too. So we're actually going to have a little bit of an interactive podcast today. So Uh-oh. grab your pen or pencil. This <laughs> is going to be harder to type. So you do want a clean sheet of paper and a pen or pencil. And we'll get over there in a second. But first, we've got some interesting real estate news to share with you. Uh, straight from Inman, the headline is, is over-the-top luxury real estate coming back into style? Well, the sales figures and marketing uh, coming out over the last several months do suggest this. A recent Douglas Elliman report found that sales in Manhattan of Manhattan apartments are up 150%. Go Manhattan on the comeback, topping a 1.9 billion and rising 12% in average prices. Luxury sales are also up 61% in Portland and in West Palm Beach, for example. So the point of it is, and Julie, I sent you all these summaries of all these, uh, essentially all this positive housing news, is because you and I are trying to counterbalance a lot of the Mickey Mouse that's out there with regards to negative uh, housing news. And I sent you another article yes. this morning about uh, Inman, uh, I'm sorry, information that came out and about Austin, and I sent that to you. Hopefully you can oh, find yes, it. Oh, yes, I have it right here. And we talked about that on a Instagram Live we did this morning. Yes. But this is an interesting little statistical thing, too, because the headline, in essence, of for Austin was, Austin home sales slow down, just like the headline that came out earlier this week was, new construction slows down. You guys have to peel back the layers and see what the actual truth is. Yes, so for example, and, and again, the theme here is, Don't hit the panic button. When you see this, you have to dig deeper. You have to know the facts. And we're so massively far away from anything that would even appear to be a balanced market, much less Mm -hmm. a buyer's market, that a little bit of shifting is okay. And we see different markets kind of bouncing up and down inventory-wise. So that's a little bit of a shift, but it's not catastrophic in any way. Let's do take these guys back. Let's jump in the time machine. Let's Mm -hmm. go back to 2007. Sure. Um, because it's important that you guys understand essentially the um, dominoes that started to fall in the housing market. If you were in our position, or a lot of you guys were in the markets too, you saw the same thing similar uh, to what we're about to describe, especially in California. Basically, back then, everyone or a vast majority of the mortgages were what, call, what were called subprime lend, uh, loans. And subprime would be people that weren't putting a lot of money down, didn't have great credit, maybe didn't even have jobs. Or any of the above. Or any of the above, right? <laughs> and so you'd hear stories and we experienced stories of people buying multiple properties. There would be, it would not be unusual at all for someone to leverage themselves into five, six, seven, you know, 10 mortgages. And the reality of it is, is they probably didn't even have hardly any income themselves because back then the lenders really were not doing a lot of verification and people were not necessarily being as honest as they otherwise could have been on their applications. And things would still close. Now, why were people buying all those properties? They were buying them because they were gambling in essence. They were buying them with the idea that the properties were going to go up in value. So as long as your perception was the value was going to increase, you're going to keep the house and you're going to, you know, obviously uh, continue to make a payment 
payment, even if you have to subsidize the payment, if maybe your tenant isn't paying it, your, you know, the payment's a thousand and maybe you're going to pay, uh, um, I'm sorry, the, the tenant is paying a thousand, but the mortgage payment's 11 or 1200 and you're going to make up the difference, whatever the numbers are, you guys get the idea. So essentially everyone was uh, smoking from the same pipe of hopium. Yes. And I remember distinctly reading a USA Today article, because you know, they're all, you know, good on their charts and graphs and stuff that showed that the average California homeowner was, quote, making more year over year on their home than they were in their income. And I remember the numbers where the average income at the time was the average, you know, earned income, assuming you had a job, was 70,000 a year, 73, something like that. And the average year over year house was, quote, making them 125 to 150,000 a year. And I, I remember sitting there looking at that going, well, isn't that curious? So the moral of the story is, is when people stop believing that the houses were going to continue going up in value, they essentially stop making the payments on those houses. On the subprime lender, if I remember correctly, the name of the first lender that failed was a company called New Century. And they were in Southern California. They failed. And that was really the first domino. But before the mortgage company failed, and they only failed because basically they obviously started seeing uh, people weren't uh, paying their mortgages and maybe the pay- the people they were selling the subprime loans to that they're originating weren't buying them anymore. And that was the end of their story. But even you got to think back. So why is it that those homeowners stop making the payments and they stop making the payments because they did not believe the houses were going to continue to go up in value? So if you start seeing um, now, again, that was all speculation, a, lot, a vast majority of the market was predicated on speculations. It's going to be worth more today or tomorrow than it is today. And it, very weak lending practices. It, virtually no lending practices yeah. and no money down. And no real appraisal rules either. Exactly. All this stuff. And I know some of you, most of you weren't in the business back then. So it's hard to believe, especially considering how stringent mortgages have become now. <laughs> but back then it was not like that at all. You could pretty much, no matter what your situation was, financially get a mortgage. Now, fast forward to today, everything is different. And I don't have to take you uh, guys down the list of all the things that are different. But really, the primary difference is, is that after the crash that happened back in 07, 08, and 09, um, people were, a lot of people were believing that housing would never come back. Not only did housing come uh, come back really in the second half of 07 is when we start, or 09 is when we started building into the seller's market. Not only did the market come back, but it came back and turned into what is going to be a long-term, has already been, but will continue to be seller's market. Do you think anybody on the face of planet Earth, especially in our country, believes uh, that there's any chance that owning a home long-term is not a home run? And people that are buying homes now are buying them to live in. You're, there's hardly any speculation uh, that's going on. There's not a lot of flipping going on because prices have gotten too expensive and the flippers are not the numbers don't sort out and you're seeing a lot of the market's completely different the foundation is, what I'm saying. is massively better right but the headlines of the housing of a potential housing crash still grabs people's attention because those wounds have yet to heal over that a lot of people suffered uh, from the financial meltdown that happened back in 07 08 and 09 so the moral of the story is the headlines are what these guys are then uh, they're coming going to come up with more and more salacious headlines and those salacious headlines are obviously designed to uh, get you to read them, and then they sell you advertising. And that's a lot of it. Now, if Julie and I started seeing any reason to believe that there was going to be some sort of storm clouds on the horizon in a meaningful way, we would tell you. And this article or this, this, this statistics from um, Austin, and Julie and I pay attention to several, uh, several, well, really probably about 10 bellwether markets in the United States. We're probably going to expand that, too. Um, especially after we've been doing all this traveling on our U.S. Yes. tour. 
But you look, we pay attention to Miami. We pay attention typically to the D.C., Virginia area. We pay attention to Manhattan. We pay attention to some of the Midwestern states. We are looking to see what the days in the market are. What And we we're who to get this information from is our coaching clients. So, Julie, back to this Austin statistical yes. well, stuff. So, so what is the, the net outcome of a little bit slower total number of sales? Well, we have, uh, let's see, month over month, the change in months of inventory. Okay, so there's more inventory. Things are selling a little bit less quickly, but what does that actually mean? Almost nothing. Months of inventory last month were a half month of inventory. Now we have a little bit more, and we've got a month and a half of inventory. Okay, so remember that when you have six months of inventory, in other words, if nothing got uh, relisted today, it would take six months to sell the existing inventory. That's the indication that we are in a balanced market. Well, with these new Austin statistics, it changed from a half month of inventory to a month and a half of inventory. With still average days on the market, I think it's 14. Average list to sell price ratio, that's the difference between the list price and what it actually closed at was almost 108%. This is still extremely strong. Now, even with that said, there were almost 80 expireds. So, you know, there's still some aspirational pricing, maybe some difficult showing um, circumstances that cause those expireds, but it's certainly not a huge shift. But that is kind of an interesting fact, what you just it read, is. though, about the number of expireds. Yes. And it, in, in an Austin market where it's just crazy hot, but I bet you if you looked at those, uh, most of those expireds, in Austin in particular, Julie and I own some rental properties there. Uh, downtown Austin, where the apartments and condos are, mm -hmm. I bet you that's where a vast majority of yeah. your expireds are. And if you're but in the Austin... can be lots and things like if that. If you're in the Austin area and you're thinking, or if you're in Miami or if you're in Manhattan, you need to be thinking about the market that will come. And what's going to happen is, is those properties in the downtown uh, you know, units and all these really densely popula populated urban areas, they won't stay down forever. And that market will pivot back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can give you guys example after example of coaching clients who were smart enough to essentially move in, essentially, and sometimes literally move in to those markets when they were down, start getting them sold, you know, or, or um, getting them as expireds, getting the property sold when no one else was even trying to get the property sold in those particular markets. And as a result of that, they built long-term, very, uh, uh, very, very prosperous markets. And some of the largest agents, most most mm -hmm. profitable agents we've ever coached, that's really where they got their foundation. And I think, yeah, now we huge. didn't coach Alan Dom, but Alan mm -hmm. Dom's a great example, right? He's a great example, so, and he's still doing it today. He is. And so Alan Dom started selling, and uh, part of the main line in Pennsylvania, I think. Yeah. But it was a condo building, and then he moved to another one, moved to another one. And mm -hmm. he was, I think, probably he's, he's the most successful, probably most one of the most wealthy people that um, I've ever come across, Julie and I have ever come across, who started out basically by selling real estate, by essentially doing it the old-fashioned way. And he his whole business was predicated on, guess what, over-the-phone prospecting. And that's what he did. I'm sure he still does it. And then he got into developing. Um, but he, again, he was in this market. He was in that particular market when the market was down and he began to dominate yep. in that market. So think sometimes counterintuitively. Yes. Go the opposite direction of where else, everyone else is going. You don't have to make that your total focus. But... Guys, look, if you go and start uh, working on an area where there's a lot of expireds, expireds doesn't mean things don't sell. It just means they take longer to sell, which means ultimately it's going to be easier for you to build listing inventory, which yeah. should be all of your goals. That's right. And interestingly, in that same report, yes, there were 70 expireds. And people would say, well, 
there's only 70 expireds. Well, how many do you have to win to make that exactly. significant to you, right? Uh, but there were also almost 400 withdrawals. Right. Which is an agent seeing it expire and getting in front of it in most cases. Now, some of that, that that's could, incredible. Actually. That could have been a building, a new construction condo building that a builder pulled out of the MLS. You just have to watch and see what it is. But Julie, level off yeah. to what you just said. So that was 470 uh, essentially mo homes that were taken off the market that a proactive agent could then be calling and finding out Just why the plenty. heck those were taken off the market. And that doesn't include the new construction that didn't yes. even make it to the MLS. And that's in one month. And that's in one month. So, right. So you if you guys it. think there's a lack of inventory, there's a lack of inventory for agents that don't know how to do anything other than just look in the MLS. And we've talked yes. about this numerous times on this podcast. And we've given you guys lots of places to search for listings that other agents that aren't more experienced or don't listen to this podcast will never know about. That's right. Now, back circling back to everyone wanting more inventory and nobody wanting a housing crash, we have home builders urging Congress to address the inventory crisis. Now, some of you guys don't really know what uh, the National Association of Home Builders and certainly what your NAR does, but they're working together to rectify the tremendous housing shortage in the U.S. Okay. I haven't read this article. Yeah, this so uh, Jerry Howard, who is the CEO of the National Association of Home Builders, that's the NAHB, testified before Congress and called on lawmakers to enact key policy proposals that will help home builders expand the housing supply, reduce the housing deficit, and improve housing affordability for all Americans. Um, and this was a Housing Wire article. There's four key, three key points that they're trying to accomplish. First one is to fix the building materials supply chain. They're asking to engage with Canada to adopt a new softwood lumber agreement and stop the imposition of harmful tariffs on Canadian lumber. So that's a specific thing to read up on. And then to improve the low-income income housing tax credit, um, there's actually something that's called the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act that the builders are pushing for. And that would help to finance more than 2 million additional multifamily units over the next decade. Now, that can be apartments, that could be condos, that can be mixed use, but that's going to get more inventory out there. And then to reformulate current homeownership tax incentives because the recent tax in changes have undermined effectiveness of the mortgage interest deduction. So this is all being discussed with the actual uh, NAHB working with NAR to lobby Congress to make things a little bit easier. It is fascinating. I don't have an opinion on this, but it is fascinating to think how much actual housing shortage is caused by over-regulation and things like what you were just pointing out in yes. that particular uh, article from Housing Wire. It, like you and I were driving um, on our U.S. tour here. We were driving down from Oregon to California. Mm -hmm. And guys in Oregon, Idaho, Washington State, every place we've been, uh, this is going to sound strange, but there the tons and tons of water. <laughs> you saw the rivers full, the lakes full. People fishing. You, people fishing, people boating, people rafting. Mooses waiting. <laughs> exactly. Bears <laughs> waiting. And as soon as you get down to California, you start seeing drought signs, and sure enough, when you're crossing over bridges, you look down and there's virtually Dried no up. water. Yep. How is it that you go from one state to the next and, and essentially have all the water disappear? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have an opinion. There must be something that's going on in California that's causing there not to be the water flowing like it is in the other states. And that goes to regulation. That goes to a lot of the things that you know, people are living with and on a daily basis. And, you know, housing is going to be one of those things that people are going to have to take a hard look at. Why is housing so expensive in some of these um, urban areas we're going to? It's because it's impossible to build. There's too much regulation. We we talk with you guys on our, um, you know, our coaching calls about this. Like there's such a huge backlog of demand, but they've made, you know, whoever they as you know, the, the regulators, the politicians, the ordinance people have made it so difficult to build, so difficult to modify your own property, so difficult to essentially, you know, 
essentially build homes that are going to make it so we no longer are living in this historic housing shortage. And it's not the same everywhere. There's certain no. states and towns that are highly, highly regulated and other places that are not. For example, one of our hair certified coaches uh, works in the Albuquerque, New Mexico area, and she reports just oceans and oceans of new construction yep. because it's easier to build there. They're less regulated. There's plenty of land. And so that's a large part of her business right now. People are going to start more so than they are now. I think the other thing we are definitely seeing as we drive through some of these little small cities and towns is there definitely is revitalization that's going on. And it's not being led by government or whatever. It's it's being led by people that can be remote workers, that work Mm -hmm. on the Internet, that can get satellite connections, live where the heck they want to live. And we've been seeing all kinds of... I mean, what was that community went through that looked like sort of a Martian um, oh, the, hobbits? What was that area called? Earth homes or something? Yes, Earthship. It's actually called Earthships. Yeah, that and, was amazing. Uh, that that is very interesting, and they have several sites worldwide. That was in Taos, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a very organized thing to be uh, built and sustainable. And it was really cool. I, I really enjoyed studying it. It's something I hadn't seen before. Completely off the grid housing that was basically subterranean. You had solar to, panels, cisterns, the whole nine. We put pictures of it on our Instagram page, but you guys can also Google it. You got to see these. It's the craziest housing I've ever seen. And I have to say, when I was when we drove past it, we saw like one or two, and then there was like hundreds of them, and they're all just on these big parcels. And we were thinking to ourselves, man, if there was a cool a place to do some sort of Netflix series, it would be right there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and they have a, a pretty good network of uh, vacation rental homes if you wanted of to course. try one out. So we should have. And the original Hobbit House in the U.S. was built there. Oh, seriously? So, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So uh, let's get over to our topic. This is related to our discussion on wealth and your wealth mindset. So we're going to do a little exercise with you so you can sort all this out. On the left-hand side of the page, you're going to write abundance. And on the right-hand side, you're going to write scarcity. And then you'll draw a vertical line to separate the two so that you can sort out when are you having a scarcity mindset? What are the uh, traits of that? And when do you think in abundance? Julie, before you get to your next yes. point, I want to ask all of you guys a special favor. The Many, many tens of thousands of you listen to this podcast every single day. It's the number one listened to daily podcast in the United States. And maybe even the world, frankly, because we're listened to in 60, like almost 70 different countries. Could you guys do us a favor, please, and give us a five-star review on iTunes, on on Stitcher, and all the rest of it? Please do give us a review, a five-star review, showing your appreciation. The podcast is free, uh, and we would certainly appreciate your support. But it helps the podcast tremendously, and it helps Julie and I to know that we're on track with the information we're giving you and helping you with in your real estate business. And in Julie's example today of the topic, personal life. Do, by giving us a five-star review on iTunes and on Stitcher. So please do that. That is our special request for all of you from, uh, you know, and again, thank you for continuing to make this number and listen to daily podcast. Yes. Yeah, so on the left-hand side of your page, you have abundance. On the right-hand side, you have scarcity. You're going to separate the two. So you've got, you know, two sides of your page and you can draw a little stick figure of yourself on each side <laughs> to remind yourself when I have that, when I have these thoughts, I'm thinking with an abundance mindset. When I have these thoughts, I think with scarcity. So typically somebody that believes in abundance or has a tendency to have a subconscious that relies on that, you know, abundance thought sequence, their leading uh, thoughts are to complement other people, to be supportive. A scarcity mindset is to instantly go into criticism or skepticism, that something must not be right. Okay, so take some examples of Maybe there's an agent in your office that just got an, just an amazing, beautiful listing. 
Where do you go first? Do you criticize? Do you think, oh, well, they just must have bought the listing or they overpriced and undercommissioned or they wouldn't have that listing? Or do you think, gosh, how awesome is that? They must be a really kick-ass agent. I want to be more like them, more complimentary. Which do you go to? So in abundance, you have a sense of gratitude. In scarcity, you have a sense of entitlement. So you can see, for example, if I get a listing but you don't and you believe in scarcity, you think that you know there's not enough to go around. Instead of saying, I need to become a better agent, I need to up my skills because I can be like that too. I can get listings like that too. Instead, you go, you did something wrong and there's not enough to go around. You got that listing, so I can't have it. So here's where a skeptic is going to be in conflict with the scarcity versus abundance uh, conversation. Because the reality of it is, is in everything in life, and, and this is true when you're dealing with um, you know commerce especially, it is a competition. You're, there's only one person that's going to get the listing contract signed. There's only one listing agent. There's only, right, there's, life is about competition. A lot of you try to avoid competition um, and in your businesses, and that's the reason your businesses level off. If you really want to become the best version of yourself as a salesperson, realize that the real competition, it's not with yourself. It's basically with what you choose to learn. It's with what the value you bring to other people. So, for example, and this goes to abundance, if you're not having the quality of life, if you're not having the quality of experiences, the health, the happiness, the wealth, all those things, um, and but really focused primarily on finances, if you don't have the financial abundance you want in your life, there's a direct correlation between the number of people you help accomplish their goals, you help accomplish their goals, and the, and the number of goals and the amount of goals that you're able to accomplish in your own life. So if you're not living in a uh, the life that you would uh, dream for yourself, if you're not living in an abundance yourself, it's probably because you've direct, you have yet to connect the dots. If you help more people accomplish their goals in real estate, it's very easy, right? Help them sell their house, help them buy a house. If you help them accomplish those goals and you do that frequently enough, you're obviously going to have more money. And with that more money, then you're going to experience more abundance. So if you're not experiencing personal abundance in yourself, in your own life, or for the people you love, it's because you have yet to accept the fact that there's a direct correlation between the number of people you help and the amount of, uh, you know, essentially the experiences you're going to have on planet Earth. That's how complicated it really is. In other words, it's not complicated at all. And to think that uh, you know you're essentially being um, your uh, how do I say this tactfully to think that someone is taking away from you or to think that you know it's the it's the whole pie conversation right there's only so many pieces of the pie to go around that is the type of thinking that will always keep you small because if you if you shed all of that and you just realize that there is an unlimited number of people especially in a housing market like this yeah. they're always going to want to do business with you as long as you're caring and you're competent and you're skilled if you're that agent that is going to be somebody that people know can solve the problem of finding a house especially in a market or getting a house sold with a you know least amount of time most money uh, least amount of hassle in a market like this if you're that person, uh, if you're the person that's earned the, the trust and earned the right to be of service to other people, then you're going to have an unlimited amount of abundance in your life. It all goes back to that common element of being of service to other people and helping other people. It's not about, you know, fancy sales. I mean, look, scripts and objection handlers, all that stuff matters. But it's not about manipulating people in a bad way. You are manipulating people to help them see through their own fear and so they can accomplish the goal that they've hired for you to help them accomplish. That's really what well, you're sales, solving their problem. You're solving their problem, right? right. For their own good is the, the easy way to say it, right? Sure. So rather than and so you touched on something, I think maybe even subconsciously, the person who has a scarcity mindset thinks that scripts and things like that are a manipulation. 
yeah. versus a person who believes in abundance, which is what you just said. We're here to fix the problem. I'm here to, you know, give you a smooth transition. You've got this real estate issue or goal. I am the person that's going to help you get there. There's a difference in how you think about that. Well, because it goes back to the words, right? Yeah. If you realize that your highest and truest purpose on planet Earth is to be of other to service to other people, especially as a real estate practitioner, if you accept the fact you replace realtor, real estate agent, realtor, whatever, replace all that with a people helper, right? If you accept the fact that your job, what you signed up for is to help people, right? That is what you're supposed to be doing. Then to help people, you need to have a skill set that's going to be able to help enough people. If all you know how to do is open uh, lock boxes and open doors in a certain price range in a certain part of you know Omaha, then you're going to have a very limited, uh, you're going to help a very limited number of people, right? And that's the problem that many of you experience is you've yet to realize that the more you know, the more people you can help, the more you're going to grow. It's a people helping business primarily. And that, and for people to want to do business with you, for you to be able to help people, you earn that right through your skill set, not through your Instagram or your, you know, your Facebook or your branding or any of this other Mickey Mouse. You earn it through your skill set. When someone talks to anybody, talks to you, you don't want them to think anything other than you, other than that's the person I'm going to use 100% of the time when it comes to do with uh, real estate. And that takes skill and you know it. And if you think that, you know, you lost because somebody else took it away from you, that or you because somebody else cheated. Right. So that that's another specific difference. Okay. So the person that has an abundance consciousness says to themselves, I know that I can do it because I have this skill because I've worked on it or I am getting this skill. They own it. They own that accountability of achieving that for someone. The person who lives in scarcity is in denial of that. Whenever they don't get something, it's always somebody else's fault or the market's fault or something like that. And, and that's why people in scarcity mindset, those are the ones who live in fear of a shifting market. Right. Because it's not going to be their fault, you know, and they're also the ones that can have their butts kicked in a shifting market if they don't change their skills. So here's an abundance approach to real estate, for example. Mm -hmm. It does not matter what interest rates are. It does not matter who the president is. It does not matter really where in the country you live. It does not matter... Any, none of the things that you're told and you might think matters, none of it matters because the fact is, is people, again, Julie and I are real estate coaches, people are always going to want to do real estate transactions, no matter what direction the market's going, no matter what, look, it does not matter. If you want proof, we just went through the third worst pandemic in the history of humanity. And you know what? There were still closings. And there were a lot of them. And the housing market took off. You know, if you want even more proof, let's jump in a time machine and go back roughly, you know, 14 years to the housing crash. And what happened? The market houses were still selling. Even more proof. You can go back to the early 90s when Julie and I, you know, we started selling real estate. Basically, there we were coming out of a recession. And people were still buying real estate. You can go back in time forever and there'll always be people that need to buy and sell real estate. The, it, the question you have to ask yourself is, are they going to choose you to do the transaction? That's right. So in abundance, abundance, you know, uh, minded people, they keep a, I will do this list. They have a goals. They set goals. They develop plans. They follow things like the treasure map, right? Mm -hmm. People who are in scarcity, often they'll claim that they do journals and that they've got a plan. Oh, I follow a plan. Or they'll say, well, I'm just not a goal setter. I've never been a goal setter. You know, that just seems cheesy. So again, more denial on the scarcity mindset. It's almost like they're hiding out from their own success. Well, also, you go back to the skeptic aspect, but I'll say something else that's interesting with regards to the abundance uh, mindset. Because mm -hmm. all of us... Um, 
you know, it's easy. Like our friend Brendan Pritchard, right? Yeah. Every time you run into that guy, he's clearly in the abundance mindset. All the time. And he's, right. And he's worked, he always has a big smile on his Dripping face. Dripping in it. He's worked <laughs> on his ability, obviously, to stay out of the scarcity mindset and the approach, that approach to life. But yep. one of the one of the things that you can do to essentially trick your ego into an abundance mindset is give compliments to other people and show overt appreciation to other people. If you are showing overt appreciation to other people, Julie, you look beautiful today. And you as well. I, I, I really, look beautiful. Well, no, I, I like your new haircut. <laughs> oh, really? We're both, you know, post-workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold but on. Thank you. you cut my hair, so I'm not sure if you, you – know. that's not – okay. No, but, but I I'll, get the point. I'll give you an example, though. <laughs> e- even before I knew anything about this abundance and scarcity business – and if you're a coaching uh, client of ours in Premier, this is on your Premier website. You can use this. Maybe even post it in your office to keep yourself honest on this stuff. But I remember after I learned this, looking back to maybe in my early 20s and thinking, I remember my grandma never complained about any illness, ailment, condition, uh, uh, politics, nothing. I cannot tell you a single time that I heard her complain. Okay, She lived to be nearly 100 years old. I also remember back when I worked in retail at Christmas Village, there was a lady named Judy Bergen, okay? Complimented all the time, never complained, never had a sour word to say about anyone, even if there were grumpy, grumpy customers, nothing, never a sour word. But it, th- that's and that a... stayed with me. I, I remember, I didn't think, oh, well, they have an abundance mindset. But even back then, I thought, well, isn't that an interesting way to be? But that's a superpower. And if, it is. You, if you read books and profiles about people that have the it factor, right? That's part and, of it. And you can, we've talked about this on the podcast too, but you know, there are like people that are remembered as being, they walked into the room or he or she walked into the room and everyone was drawn to them. And they had this sort of like, they lit up the room. that sort of thing. Well, what is it specifically? What were the qualities that, that person had? Well, the first one was that they are always given compliments. The other one was they always asked questions and they always listened and they avoided talking about themselves. Those were basically the compass. Julie and I have studied this before. We wrote about it in our best-selling book, Harris Rules. But the, those are the elements that, generally speaking, make it so that people are, are going to be attracted to you. It's why the Ford script works. Totally. Because you're, you're getting away from your own ego and you're getting the other person to talk. Right. If you want people to love you, ask questions about them and compliment them. And actually pay attention to the answer. And the funny thing is, is you guys should just think about this right now. So I've asked all of you to go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. At some point in differing levels, I'm sure this podcast has helped you and motivated you and maybe had a profound impact on your business and your personal life. I'm asking you to show gratitude uh, by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher. I'd sincerely appreciate that. But here's the side stream benefit that you get from doing that is that you will personally feel better after you do it because you've shown appreciation for something. And then if you continue to do that, if you become the person who, and I've had coaching clients that have had, um, you know, really bad attitudes basically. Mm -hmm. And one of their homework assignments was they have to uh, write down or they have to give uh, five overt forms of appreciation every day and write it down. And that was basically what their homework was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a real estate. Yeah, it's homework transformational, design. isn't it? It is because they then start not just it at first, it's almost painful for them to show appreciation <laughs> to other yeah. people uh, because it's so, it, it's almost so foreign forced. to them. Right. Yeah. And it is forced, but who cares? So you, it, you know, when you and it's I went, to the, when you and I have been going to the gym at this hotel and we haven't been to the oh, gym in two so weeks, sore. that's totally forced, right? <laughs> yes. 
So, so you see these, you know, you, you see these people start becoming these people that are naturally, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't act like that. I'm a skeptic. I, I put a lot of value in my ability to think things through and make careful decisions and being a skeptic. I'm not suggesting that you lose your ability to be, you know, smart and make smart decisions. What we're suggesting is that you move away from how you're probably thinking about life in general. Test yourself. Do you give compliments to other people? Do you show appreciation to other people? Not just digitally when you're hitting a little, you know, heart symbol Likes. on Instagram or liking them. I mean, overtly saying something nice to people. Zoe's looking at me right now, shaking her head. She likes C to put hearts on she, things. She gives compliments all the time. She always shows she overt appreciation, right, Zoe? Yeah, she's <laughs> showing me a heart right now. That's what I'm talking about. So are you like that? Because when you're like that, here's what happens. I'll use Zoe as an example. Everywhere we go when we're home in Puerto Rico, everyone says, hi, Zoe. Zoe was playing with some uh, kids that she'd never met before when we went to that uh, aeronautical oh, museum. Yes. And That's as right. we were leaving, it was time to go. All these kids said, bye, Zoe. She just met him maybe a half hour before that, and she made buddies with him. And the, and the way she does that in her little kid brain is she's super nice to them and shows appreciates, appreciation for them and gives them compliments. And that is so different than their normal experience in life. She's very natural about that. She'll she say, is. I love your shoes. Yeah. Or she'll say, do you want to play with me? Right. And, and that's not something that uh, all little kids have. And it's certainly not something adults have. As you get older, it's almost like you're it's reinforced to be a skeptic. And certainly if you're you know, addicted to the media, everything wall to wall is forcing you to so be critical. scared of being a skeptic. Look, test yourself. Here's your homework assignment. Please do give us five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. But beyond that, why don't you go and give five forms of overt appreciation to other people? It can just be complimenting them, but it also might be beneficial to you to write somebody a note saying, you've been very impactful in my life. I sincerely appreciate it. I'll even make it easier on you guys. You can do it digitally. You can send someone a digital note, but show overt appreciation. And just the thought of doing it, do you guys feel how it's transformative? Do you feel how it's all of a sudden making you feel more abundance in your life? Isn't that interesting? Now, you do that for long periods of time, and that's only weeks, you know, and then it turns into months. You become a different person. You've rewired the way you think. But here's what's really impactful. You've retrained how people see you. You now have become that person that walks into the room that everyone wants to be around. Everyone wants to gravitate towards you. Now, you combine that with skills. You combine oh, that with so you're, powerful. you're unstoppable and the most powerful people, not just, you know, real estate agents on planet earth have that combination. Absolutely. And you guys can get it too. It's just a learn. It's not even really a skill. It's who you really want to be. You really do want to be someone who's living in abundance because you're happier. You're healthier. You stand up it is straight. Much healthier. Yeah. You it look is. better. I mean, you know, when you're in this abundance state, People will feel it. You'll you'll have this, you know, you know right now, if I were to ask you to make a list of five people that if you were just to call them or want to be around them, they instantly make you feel better. Well, why is that? Because they don't bitch and moan. They don't complain. They even if they have a bad experience, they're, they're generally not generally positive. They're not leaving bad reviews. Mm -hmm. It's all the other people that are the lead weights around our lives. And yeah, isn't that interesting that you it may even be easier to identify people who you don't want to be around because oh, they're fairly obvious, right? I mean, I, I'm friends with a lot of moms at Zoe's school, but I can tell you there's one or two that I consciously avoid because something is always wrong and something is always unglued and something is always like mega stress, even if it's not really that stressful. Yeah. It's just kind of like who they are. They're, they're like a 
you know, is the, the Tasmanian devil, you know, that goes around yeah, and spinning all the time. He's looking for problems Everything's all the time. Everything's a threat vector. Yeah, and I just, I even thinking about it, I, I just, I can't deal with that. Yeah, people, there's going to be people that are going to be standing at the gate, at the pearly gates, and they're going to say, you know what? I thought they'd be pearlier. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know what? That's a gate, and it's pearl. This made line of pearl. is too long. And it's, it's, the line's too long, and you know what? That gate, look, I'll be honest with you, it's not that impressive. No. I isn't mean, there they, a workaround for this? They could have done, yeah. What, what do you mean? I, isn't there a VIP list? I know, and then they're going to go. <laughs> to Yelp and, and do a bad <laughs> review for Pearly Gates. How do I do that? Zero stars. Zero stars. That's right. The line was too long and the per, the Pearly Gate needed repearled. You know. It's too humid up here. But guys, seriously, <laughs> the, the abundance versus scarcity thing, if you want to shortcut it, if you want to move it from the cerebral to the real, start giving compliments to other people. Start showing overt appreciation for other people. You can start small and give appreciation for people in your family. That's probably the best place for all of you to start. But go beyond that. And look, it could be your dry cleaner. It could be your dog walker. If you're the dog walker, it could be, you know, the person, whoever, it doesn't matter. You guys get the point. That is going to trick your mind into start changing the channel ever so slightly away from scarcity, away from fear, away from ego to where you really truly want to be. And that's where you're going to feel a lot more happiness and you're going to start attracting to you other people that are not to use this overused term, but that are vibrating on the same frequency as you are. Yeah. So, so after talking about this topic, how mm -hmm. do you feel? Happy. Isn't that I funny? Do. I know. Yeah. And you're smiling more yeah. than you were in the beginning of the show. Yeah. Well, I was lamenting from having gone to the gym and probably overworked it and I'm feeling yes. a little wiped out. I know. Me too. And I can't believe how yeah. much the gym is kicking my butt here after not working out for only two weeks. And yet you're doing what you didn't want to do when you didn't want to do it. I and you said you're, you kind of overdid it. You're trying to do it at the highest level you know how to do. So Yeah. Which I couldn't because frankly, I was I about know. to die. I'm so sore too. <laughs> I know. So okay. in the meantime, guys, you have a fantastic weekend. Listen, we want to really be 100% clear to all of you. We sincerely appreciate all of you. We, I, it is we impossible do. for us to tell you how meaningful um, all of you are in our lives. I know I get calls from you guys sometimes. Some of you guys will message me directly, you know, text me directly because you want to join EXP and you want to be part of our EXP Realty group. And if, you, if that's you, if you're looking for a sponsor, Julie and I are formally applying to be your sponsor at EXP, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. But we get messages from you guys on Instagram. And we Tim, often call you back, too. At Tim and Julie Harris. Yeah. And and some of you, I have get we had a... Um, Peter, right? Mm -hmm. And I know he's listening. Yeah. So he said he'd been listening to us for seven, seven years. years. I know. And I had to think, have we been doing this for seven years? I probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I know we're into the thousands of podcasts. I know we've had over, it's probably 15 million downloads or something. Yeah, it's amazing. That is, uh, for us, Julie and I stand here every day when we do this podcast, and we look at each other while we're doing this podcast, and we're just having fun. Julie organizes the podcast with content, so we're not riffing, over riffing too much. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to very be, we're trying to be conscientious of delivering value that's going to have an impact on you immediately, but also long term. That's where I'm, we're thinking like real estate coaches because that is what we professionally are. But I have to tell you, when we run into some of you virtually or otherwise, and you're um, and we see some of you, um, you know, like Peter for example, he was saying that in his marketplace he is a proactive lead generator. Mm -hmm. He primarily spoke uh, focuses on uh, listings. listings. His uh, motivation is uh, that he has how many children? Five has, or six? Yeah, lots something of like that. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to have to be chasing buyers in the weekend, so he, uh, sure. he's become a listing agent. Mm -hmm. And he, he was he's not a coaching client, 
but he has been uh, essentially following. He read our book, evidently. He's mm-hmm. been following our system. And he's essentially built his business around the tenets that we've – and the amount of uh, love, frankly, yes. that I felt from him. I Absolutely. put him on speakerphone. Resonating. Phone, it was sure. amazing. Yes. And, and that really – that's – And that's how we feel about him, too. I mean, that, right. that's, you know, and, we're and we just met on the him. same page. Yeah. yeah. And this – so this is the type of thing – this movement that all of us are creating to return sanity to real estate. Mm-hmm. It's not just that it's really to make the most of all of our lives. All of, you know, your life, our lives, we're all in this together. Some of you think, well, this is just Tim and Julie. They're just podcasting from someplace. And where are we, Julie? Napa, Napa. California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be in San Francisco or whatever. Y- yes, that's true. But the thing is, is that when we meet with you and we connect with you and we you know hug you and we touch you and we you know shake your hand and all the rest of it and we share a cup of coffee which we've been blessed to do on this uh, and and we're th- we're instantly on the same page because we've been able to sh- we're on this journey together it's almost like when i'm doing this podcast and it's like even if i'm coming from having my butt kicked at the gym mm-hmm. and i want to you know essentially reconnect with um, being of abundance and all the rest yes. of it all i think about is all the tens of thousands of people that are listening right now or listening mm-hmm. in replay and we're all on this journey together. We're all, you know, climbing up this hill together. Yes, and it takes all of us working together. It does. It takes all of us but working together. But it's really together. nice. I mean, it's amazing to feel that. And I feel, and you feel that gratitude. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we connect with more of you on this journey. So I think we're going to be in Napa for two or three more days, then mm-hmm. San Francisco, then the Monterey Peninsula, and we'll see from there. And if you guys are feeling abundance now, it's because uh, you are allowing the abundance to fill your heart and we give you your homework assignment of going out and showing overt appreciation to at least five other people. Every day. Every day. And we sincerely pre- – and just move outside. Your, don't do it the same people every day. Go start becoming the person that be other people – that other people want to be around. Be the person in the line at Starbucks that is always intentionally send to your friend uh, that we went mm-hmm. to her husband's um, her Viking wake. wake, right? Yeah. And uh, when we were in Seattle, she's exactly like that. She's you very you much see like her, that. you want to be, go to her because she's so yes. sweet and so nice. She is. Very you know, genuine. And you become like that, even if you have to fake it a little bit because you're not naturally like that. When you start feeling. Um, what comes as a result of you showing appreciation to other people, you will rewire your brain and you well, will be, be like that. It then won't be, be you won't have to fake it for long. Yeah, so. but I think it's good for you to think of people like Cindy's a great example. She's a good friend of ours. It's nice to have somebody where you can a little bit resonate with them and emulate them and be maybe a little bit like they are because that's maybe a little more natural for them. And then you'll absorb that. It'll start to become part of you and it'll become more and more natural to you. That's right. And so please do start that. Make that part of your daily routine. Make that part of your life. And we would sincerely appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher. We very rarely ask for you guys to do that, but we really want to take this podcast to the next level. We're hoping that um, we can count on you to do that. And the way that the iTunes uh, directory works is the more five-star reviews, the more people they expose the podcast to, and then obviously the more exposure we can have and the more people we can hopefully, um, you know, help join this movement that all of us have started together. So in the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. Remember, you can listen to our podcast and replay at any time on all the major podcast listing devices and timandjulieharris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, 
Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.